Good morning, Stonebridge. Good to see y'all. We're going to continue our journey through Daniel chapter 7 through 9. And so if you'll turn there with me, if you have your Bible or you have an app, go to Daniel chapter 7. And here's a quote I found about these chapters, all right? It said this, after a parade of inspiring stories in the first six chapters, think fiery furnace, writing on the wall, lions, then the book becomes real weird, real fast. (laughs) I love it because it's true. It does become real weird, real fast, as you're going to see. Why, though? Here's why. Because it changes genre, okay? Chapters one through six, we have this, this Awesome narrative, inspiring narrative, and then it turns into apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is this. It's visions from God of the future and of the end times. Visions from God of the future and the end times. And it's hard to understand because it hasn't happened yet. But guess what? It is still God's word for God's people, both then in Daniel's time and now today. So we are going to get through this, but not just get through it. We're going we're gonna to work through this together and find out that this is actually a really timely word for even today, March 2020. But I want to rewind a little bit. When I covered Daniel 2 a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about this dream, or actually I didn't really talk about the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And I said, we'll get there when I get to Daniel 7. Well, here we are in Daniel 7. So if you, look at this, if you look at this photo with me, you can see, this is from the Bible Project, by the way, bibleproject.com, amazing resource, free resource, go check that out. But it says, this dream in Daniel 2 sums it up like this beautifully. It says there's a train of arrogant kingdoms starting with Babylon. And these kingdoms bring oppression, these, these kingdoms bring injustice and mass chaos. And the Bible Project ends by saying, but... One day, God's kingdom will come and will confront and humble the arrogant kingdoms of this world and fill the world with the healing justice of God's reign and rule. I love that, the healing justice of God's reign and rule. See, Daniel 2 is a pattern for chapter 7, 8, and 9. We're going to see the same thing going on. Daniel's going to get some visions now. Nebuchadnezzar got the one in Daniel 2. Daniel's going to get them in 7, 8, and 9, and we're going to see the same patterns. Arrogant kingdoms rise, but then they fall, and God's kingdom eventually brings justice and brings mercy to the world. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this today? Well, we're going to get there at the end, but I just want to, I want to tell you where we're going, so just kind of hang on, because this is, this is some hard stuff to grapple with. So here's where we're going. Courage means waiting well. Courage means waiting well. What a more timely word for today, right? Many of us are waiting for all sorts of things, but a lot of us are are simply waiting at home, waiting to just go about life as normal again, right? But we're going to see from this, Daniel waits really well by doing two main things. He patiently trusts God, and he intercedes intensely. And those are two things that we need to be doing today. But we'll get there. So... First, we need to go through chapter 7 through 9. So, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and the visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. 
The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And and it was given the mind of a man. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Okay, this is like barbecue bear, all right? He's got ribs in his teeth. Verse 6, after this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Okay, this is like fantasy stuff. It's beautiful. Verse 7, after this, I saw in the night vision, and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns I considered the horns and behold there came up from among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things all makes sense right yeah, not so much. What's going on here? Well, let's let's start with this. Let's let's look at this. Let's look at this photo from the Bible Project. Okay, you got the lion, you got the bear, you got the leopard. Oh my, no! And then you then you've got this last beast, right? And this last beast in this picture, I love it. He he kind of looks like the Tasmanian devil to me. Um, so I'm just going to call him Taz from here on out, but not a good Taz. Don't think Looney Tunes. Think like a terrible, evil Taz. And, and here he's, he's that last beast. And you're still like, okay, great, but what's going on here? Well, these are the arrogant kingdoms. And we see this in verse 16. Go to look at verse 16. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. Daniel's asking an angel, we learn. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Okay, here's some, making some sense of it. They represent kings and kingdoms. And who are these kings and kingdoms exactly? Well, tune in next week and someone much smarter than I is going to attempt to explain that to you. So um, tune in next week for that. But chapter 7, arrogant kingdoms are raised up. That's what you need to know. Now God's kingdom comes in at the end of chapter 7. And God's kingdom comes in in two ways. God brings, brings justice and mercy. First he brings justice and with this character, this, this person, the ancient of days. And we know that this is God. The ancient of days is, a, is another term for God. We see this in the book of Revelation. We see this in scripture. And it, it just refers to God as the ancient of days because he's timeless. He's the, he's the judge In chapter 7, verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne has fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and then ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The Ancient of Days, God himself brings justice to the oppressed saints, to those who are followers of God, are his people 
the Ancient of Days brings justice. And this was great news for Daniel. But we also see that he brings mercy through this person, the Son of Man. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who is this Son of Man? This son of man is not just a man. He's identified with the ancient of days, God, while distinct. Who is he? He is the man. He is the God-man. He's Jesus. We know that now as we look at this passage. How do we know that? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this term son of man is used 82 times, and often it's Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. Now, this Son of Man comes, and he represents all men, and he gives power to the saints that he mercifully bought with his own blood. Daniel and the reader certainly wouldn't have known that, but it hints at the Messiah at the Savior, which brings hope to us and mercy to us today. So there's chapter 7. Now chapter 8, some of the same thing, okay? So if you look at this, if you look at this photo here, we've got the ram, all right? And the ram represents Media and Persia, and the goat represents Greece. And then we have four kingdoms, and, and represented by four horns. And horns just represent kings in the Old Testament we see. And it's just like chapter 2. It's just like chapter 7. And the last one is that, that beast. That, remember the Tasmanian devil? It's, it's, that, it's that beast that comes in. So same cycle going. Arrogant kingdoms rise, but then God's kingdom swoops in. And so go all the way to verse 25, 825. It says, by his cunning, this is talking about that, that, that fourth big beast, Taz. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own might he shall become, a great, become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, that's God, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. So here's what's happening. This last king is so arrogant that he even picks a fight with God himself, the prince of princes, it says. And God comes in and just brings justice and whoops up on the Tasmanian devil, all right? It's, it's awesome. King of kings, Lord of lords, justice reigns, chapter 8, all right? Now, that was really fast. I encourage you to go back and read these chapters. You have some time on your hands, probably. Go back and read these chapters for yourself. But that's the overview. Chapter 9. What's going on? In chapter 9, Daniel's like, okay, God, I get it. I've received this vision three times, essentially. Where's your kingdom? Why isn't it here yet? Look at it. 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the numbers of years, 
uh, excuse me, in the books, the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So here's what's happening. Daniel is investigating. And he's excited. He wants to be freed. Remember, he's in exile. He is not home. He's in Babylon. And he wants to be freed. He wants to see God's justice reign. And so he pleads with God. He does something about it. He gets all these visions and, and he does something about it. And he opens up Jeremiah and goes, okay, you said 70 years in Jeremiah. It's been 70 years, God. Where's your kingdom at? And so he pleads with God. Remember what you said. He intercedes on behalf of the whole nation. Intercession just means praying on behalf of other people. And he's like, God, we've waited. It is time. But then we learn in chapter 9, verse 24, that the arrogant kingdom, there's another arrogant kingdom, and it's actually Israel. God's people are arrogant. 924, 70 weeks. weeks rep- one week represents seven years. So 70 times seven are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Even though he is in exile, even though Israel is in exile, they're still in sin. God's like, I'm sorry, Daniel, you've been faithful, but Daniel, you are an anomaly. The rest of your people are still just full of sin. And this might seem unfair. It probably seemed unfair to Daniel. But you have to take into account that the the rest of the Israelites, basically besides him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all just doing their own thing and living arrogantly and sinfully. And here's why they did it. If you look at the heritage, think about who were their fathers, who were their leaders before they got led off into captivity. Well, let me tell you about one of them. Ahaz was the last king of Israel. Ahaz was a terrible king and that was their example. So of course, of course, they're having a longer exile. Of course, God's kingdom isn't coming yet. So I want you to look at this with me. King Ahaz, 2 Kings 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Their example was a king who didn't care what God said and did whatever he wanted. But it didn't stop there. Look at verse 3. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Do you see the depravity Do you see the sinfulness? He even burned his son. He sacrificed his son to gods that are not God. 
This was his heritage. This was the heritage of the people of Israel. And that's what their example was. So that's what they did. And they're still living in sin. And so unfortunately, there's not any hope for Israel at this point. So if even Israel is arrogant, who gets this mercy? Who benefits from God's kingdom? And that's really where this leaves us. It's rather depressing. But God's God's kingdom does come and has already come to some extent. And one day Jesus will return. And we know that on this side of history. So we can read some of Daniel 9 with with a different lens than they would have even known about at the time. We see that God's kingdom and brings mer- and it brings mercy and his mercy has already come through the person of Jesus Christ born as a baby died a cruel death on a cross and rose from the dead and so 924 hints at this 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity who's the only one who has ever put an end to sin and atoned for iniquity. It's Jesus. And then in verse 25, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. Who's the anointed one? Who's the prince? It's Jesus. See, God's kingdom has come to some extent, but yet his justice is coming one day too. Jesus is coming back. 927, it says, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And here's what that's talking about. It's talking about Jesus coming back and making everything right and taking care of Satan and all of the arrogant rulers in the world. And God reigns supreme. And anyone who trusts in Jesus receives his mercy and his grace. Okay. Let's just stop for a second and take a deep breath together, okay? We made it through these chapters. If you tuned out because it's, it, it was hard to stay engaged, I want you to come back with me right now. Because what I'm about to say is really important. What do we do with this? Here's what we do with it. This is instructive to us in waiting well. I guarantee a lot of you are having a hard time waiting well right now. Here's how you do it. Let's follow Daniel's example. You do it by patiently trusting God. Patiently trusting God in suffering. You may think you're going through suffering right now. You probably are. Daniel was going through suffering. Think about his timeline, okay? Daniel chapter 2, when he learns about this general vision and what's going to happen in in Daniel chapter 2, he is a teenager. Fast forward to chapter 7 and 8, he is around 80 years old. Then in chapter 9, he's around 82 years old. Okay? And in that time, he had three tyrannical kings. Three tyrannical kings later, and Daniel still never got to see this fulfilled in his lifetime. However, Daniel was patient. Daniel suffered, but was patient and trusted God, even in the middle of the mess. Think about that with me. He saw these kings just just live for themselves 
and lead their nation in a terrible direction that had nothing to do with God most of the time. Yet Daniel was patiently trusting in God through all of it. What an incredible example to us. And you might be like, I don't know how to do that. Okay, that's great that Daniel did it. How do I do that? Here's how. I'm reading through Isaiah right now as I read through the Bible. And Isaiah 30 verse 15 says this, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. In returning and rest. Some versions say in repentance and rest. See, that is how you pursue patience. Maybe God has allowed all that's going on in your life right now. Maybe God has allowed you to slow down a little bit in life in order to teach you this, in order to teach you quietness and trust, to give you time and space to come quietly before God and trust in his strength and repent of your sin and rest and find peace and joy in the only place it can be found in Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, God has allowed all of this craziness to happen to get us to return and to rest and to learn quietness before God. That is how you become patient. That is how you become trusting of God in the middle of the storm. Patient in suffering, but we're also trusting in God's timing. Now that's really hard. It's really hard to trust in God's timing, especially it's especially difficult in our culture. Our culture is a is a, is a microwave, instant, freaky fast sub type culture. You know what I'm saying? We want everything right now. So trusting in God's timing is really hard because I want it in my timing all the time. But God doesn't work that way. And here's a, the question for us today. Do you really think that you know better than God? You are inside of time. You do not know the future. You have motives that are fantastic one moment and terrible the next. And it's a roller coaster. You are naturally self-focused and your desires are naturally self-focused even on your best days. Do you really think that you know better than God? Do I really think that I know better than God? I don't. You don't. We don't have the plan. He has the plan. It's his timing. So do you think you know better than God with the effects of the coronavirus in your life right now? Do you think you know better than God with your job situation, with your kids situation, with your health, with death that is inevitable for all of us all of the time? Do you think you know better than God with the plans that you have for yourself tomorrow, the plans that you have for yourself in a month, in a year? You don't. And so Jesus says this to us, Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Patiently trusting God today and then tomorrow when it comes and then the next day when it comes. See, true joy, rest, shalom, peace, the way it was supposed to be is only found 
when we live like that verse says, like Jesus says, not worrying about tomorrow, living in today, find quietness, rest, trust, joy, peace in Jesus today, right now, and trusting God with tomorrow. And that is hard to live out. I get that, I understand that, especially today. But God is calling us to that today. That's the example of Daniel in these chapters. The other way we see Daniel waiting well is is by intensely interceding. Look at this passage with me, okay? Hear the intensity as he prays for other people. Chapter nine, verse three. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I mean, how intense is that? He's not just... He's not just talking to God. He's pleading. He's begging. He's passionate. Sackcloth, ashes. And he says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, our ancestors, are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or, or, or kept the laws he gave us through, the servants, through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Jump down to verse 17. Now our God. Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, not because of, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Intercession. Praying for others. And I actually don't think I even did that passage justice. Daniel is confessing sin of a whole nation. When was the last time you confessed the sin of your nation that you didn't even take part in? That's Daniel. So here's my challenge to you for today and for this coming week and for the coming weeks, no matter what comes. I want you to focus in and pray for three things every day. One, pray for the nations. I'm not talking about America yet. I'm talking about all the other nations, for Italy, for China, for the world leaders, for the world health organization's leaders, for, for people all around the world to come to know Jesus, for God to use this for his glory, for God to, to, to end this epidemic throughout the world. Pray for the nations. Pray for missionaries in other countries that they would be able to share Jesus even in the middle of this. Pray, and then secondly, pray for America. 
Pray for our political leaders, whether you agree with them or not. They are making hard decisions and need your prayer, not just today, every day. Pray for, our, uh, pr- pray for the CDC. Pray for, pray for our whole nation, that they would repent and confess their sin to God and turn to Him. Pray for a revival in America, like in, in the early days of America with Jonathan Edwards. Pray for revivals like, like the one with Billy Graham not that long ago. Pray for greater revivals than that in America. And lastly, thirdly, pray for Boone. Pray for Boone. I want to share with you something someone shared with me out of this book. This book was called Words Aptly Spoken. A Prophetic Prayer Journey to Iowa's 99 County Courthouses. And here's, here's what happened. A few people just went around to all the courthouses in Iowa and prayed. So, Daniel. Daniel 9 was proclaimed over Boone County. Read this with me. Daniel 9 was proclaimed over this county. As soon as you begin to pray, I heard your prayer, verse 23, and they've not listened to you, O God. Lord, turn your anger away from the people of this county. Hear our prayers. Don't delay. Pray. Pray. Understand the vision, Boone County. People here will begin to understand the visions God has given them. We decree as soon as they begin to pray, they'll gain understanding. We decree everlasting righteousness upon this county. This happened. People were praying right across the street from here well before Stonebridge Church was even a thing. Do you think... That their prayers had anything to do with this church and people coming to know Jesus in this town. Ask Joey Weber. Ask, I mean, some of you who are listening to this, watching this right now, it's you. They were praying, and because they intensely were interceding, praying for you, and they didn't even know who you were, at this courthouse, this church is in existence. You came to know Jesus. And maybe, maybe those prayers are for you right now to come know Jesus today. Here's, here's what else it says. Okay, The bulging stones on the courthouse. This is right outside my window. I look at this every day. This is crazy. The bulging stones in the courthouse brought to Linda's heart the fact that the Lord wants to burst forth in this county even into cold, stony hearts. The protruding stones represent the Lord showing himself in odd places, unexpected places. The bursting forth will occur as a few called saints begin to pray. The rain today represents a cleansing and that purifying waters will begin to emerge. As you look at those stones at the courthouse here in Boone, think about how God wants to burst forth some more in his power through your prayers. Pray for Boone. Pray for whatever city you live in. And God will answer. God will do incredible things when we pray, when we get on our knees and intensely intercede for other people. Maybe, just maybe, God has allowed craziness to happen in our world to get us to quiet our hearts and pray like never before. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bring revival to this nation, to this world, to Boone. God, I pray that the prayers that were prayed and even in this book, God, would would continue to be answered. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us to trust you, to wait well, God, to not just sit on our hands during this time, Lord, but to be actively involved through prayer, through trusting you, God, through seeking you. God, change hearts, change lives. Thank you for Daniel's example. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.